0: How could you have a better ringside seat to what is happening in this industry and the trends that we're seeing in different product categories, consumers, states, market by market, all of these things. But I just think that there, it's just been a bit of a lag for people to realize that this technology is really, it holds a lot of value. And, you know, I'll just give a couple examples of analogs because some people are like, oh, why can't you just use Salesforce? Or why can't you just use Square? And we all know that there are the, Regulatory limitations around that, but there's also optimization limitations around that. So if you tried to use that, your business is not going to be as efficient as it is with a tailor made um, cannabis platform.
1: This is the dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry
2: through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. I'm with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Emily Paxia, Managing Director of Poseidon Partners. Emily, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. And thank you so much
2: for having me. I'm excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? Doing well. I'm excited to, to talk to Emily,
1: and I'm even more pumped that it's another West Coaster. Isn't that right, Brian? Yeah, I
2: guess Emily can can officially say she is on the West Coast, but I also think Emily does a lot of time out here on the East Coast, and I know she's got her eyes on New York. So again, I would say <laughs> that's more 50-50 or 80-20, depends on how you want to split that.
0: Oh yeah, bi-coastal. But yeah, presently living and based in San Francisco, but every year we I spend... For the last few years, the one exception being 2020, of course, um, we've been spending about a month back in New York, one, one to three months back in New York in the summertime, because I'm one of those uh, people who actually loves the summer in New York City, which might, <laughs> might be crazy, but I just think it's the best time to be there. It's so fun.
2: Awesome. So, for our listeners that are unfamiliar with you, can you share a little bit about your background?
0: Yeah, so I am a co-founder and managing partner, Poseidon, or managing director. Both titles exist in my life. Uh, I co-founded the firm with my brother in, we put it together over 2012, officially stood it up in 2013, and started investing with outside capital in January of 2014, right when Colorado opened their doors. Um, so now Poseidon has multiple strategies under its umbrella and all dedicated to investing in cannabis and uh, kind of an interesting thing is when you wake up one day and realize that not only have you been investing in cannabis, but your invest reach across the investments in U.S., Canada, Western Europe, and Latin America. So it's pretty exciting to see how this is so quickly developed into a, a global phenomenon.
2: Before you got into the space, were you always interested in being cannabis? Was there something that kind of led you to that? Can you kind of take us before you hopped in?
0: Yeah, uh no, I was not always interested in being in cannabis. Um it, it's funny. I feel like um you know there's that expression of like there's no there's no such thing as luck. There's just knowing having the awareness to recognize an opportunity when it comes along and you know, I, I do spend a lot of time focusing on mindfulness. I have been, I have studied to become a yoga teacher in the past. I've done a lot of things to try to, you know, increase my consciousness and awareness of what's happening in my in circuitous route. Um, the way that it first became uh, clear to me that there's an opportunity in cannabis, well. A way to think about cannabis was unfortunately back when our parents both were sick with cancer, first our father, and it came up as a palliative care option that was still illicit, but it was just one of those things that came up and it was brought up by a hospice nurse. And then the next way it came to me was by way of when I moved from New York to San Francisco and saw the legal the semi legal market. It was a gray medical market that had been around since 1996. Um, but you, you know, there are in this day and age, it's not a lot of retail locations that you see people lining up outside of the doors to get in. And that was one of the first times it really kind of like went off like a light bulb. And I remember one time I was riding in the back of my friend's car. We were going over the golden gate bridge and I was flipping through the SF weekly and there was, um, advertisements for, brands of cannabis. And I was like, what is going on here? And so I started looking more into what had been going on from a market standpoint, started studying up on the history of medical cannabis in California. And, um, and that's kind of how it came to be. But, um, you know, I personally did not have a lot of relationship with cannabis because, and this is one of the reasons I'm so pro the legal market I feel like access to was illicit market cannabis being, you know, in New York state, we didn't have a legal market. And a lot of times when I would consume cannabis, it was way too strong for me. It wasn't what I expected. And, and I didn't always have the best experience. And now I'm a daily consumer of cannabis in d- different forms and fashions, like be it a CBD tincture or a wonder beverage or a can or you know, um, something from my Edie Parker, (laughs) cute little rolling papers or, you know, there's just all these different ways I can interact with it. And my experiences are totally different, um, now because I understand what I am consuming, which is all about having a quality consumer experience. So, um, did I think I was going to ever be a cannabis (laughs) investment manager? No. Um, but I just feel like it was one of those things where those opportunities come up. And I still remember, um, I live actually right around, this is another, it it all kind when you pay attention, things line up. So I live around the corner right by Hay ashbury and um, I walk right by it all the time. And I remember I was on the phone with my brother, who's my co-founder and business partner in 2012 when I called him and I said, I don't know, I feel like cannabis could be the opportunity of our generation. And that's when we started talking about putting it together, so... There's lots of ways that we got into this.
2: I love that you shared. And I think there's so many important parts, you know, everything ranging from the personal history side. Also, to like finding the products that were beneficial for you. Because I think there's so many people, especially here on the East Coast, that have that same kind of challenge where they've had certain products that didn't kind of fit for them. And then there's this huge opportunity for them in the future, where if they can get kind of back into the industry and try, you know, regulated products, it can really make a difference for them. So I want to stay back in, in 2012, 2014. What was the cannabis industry like back then?
0: It was interesting because it was everything from you had the apothecarium stores, the spark stores, beautiful retail experiences that look like boutique hotels or high end cafes. And then you get in there and there's a brownie with a business card stapled on a plastic bag, you know? And it's like, yes, by the way, California was a leader in lab testing products. And I feel like that's all been a very important aspect of how we've gotten this to where it is today is by when you look at the cannabis industry the operators are the ones who hold themselves to the highest standards in the legal market. So they were like, we have to be lab testing our products. So we know the potency of the product, what's in the product, making sure it's safe for consumers. And they, they were always on the front end of that. So you'd have like a lab tested edible, but the packaging was very kind of rustic around it. And so it was very different. Um, Also, you know, when early days of investing in cannabis, there were, um, serious limitations. So for example, in California, they were, you know, nonprofits or mutual benefit corporations. And so can't really take equity stakes in businesses like that, but you can lend money to them. And so there are ways you can start to think about participating. The same thing was true with, for example, in Colorado, unless you were a resident, you could not invest on the equity side into those companies. And so you have to get really creative and thoughtful about how you participate. But when, for example, if you do participate as a lender to a business, there are certain covenants that exist in place, such as reporting and and having access to the financials. And it was becoming lenders to operating cannabis businesses that gave us incredible insight into actually how interesting the profile of these businesses are. And so back when we first started investing in cannabis, there were other firms that started to pop up and they would invest in cannabis, but they wouldn't do, quote unquote, plant touching operators we would actually invest in plant-touching operators because we couldn't ignore the business potential of these businesses. And now we all know because we see the earnings calls or hear the earnings calls and see the reports that come out of these operators. But I mean, when you're looking at gross margins, some of these companies in the 60%, you're looking at EBITDA margins above 30%. I mean, these are very interesting business profiles. And by the way, experiencing massive growth year over year. So that was how our conviction around investing in cannabis was strengthened. So it's interesting how these limitations actually create opportunities when you, when you pay attention.
2: Yeah. And especially early on in the process, right. You're able to kind of see from just a small, small picture. If it's just California, imagine what happens, you know, as you know, it grows out from the United States and then potentially globally.
0: Exactly. It's really crazy.
2: Pretty nuts. So let's talk about Poseidon partners. Can you share a little bit about the value it brings to the space?
0: Yeah. So uh, Poseidon was co-founded by my brother and myself. Um, So we came from a line of family business and entrepreneurship. So I think it was just kind of in our blood. And um, we're both, we think similarly, but we also approach things very differently. And I think that's really important when you're in business together, especially in investing, because we kind of look at it from different angles and test each other on it. Um, And then the firm has expanded from there. And, you know, this year we had a really, or I guess technically 2021, we had a really exciting thing where we had Patrick Ray from Canopy Boulder and he was the, he was, we met him in January of 2014 at an ARCview meeting. And I remember we were watching a pitch kind of competition and um, we just hit it off with them and, and became pretty close and have worked together with them. We've co-invested with them. And I think his experience of launching and running a business accelerator in this industry gave him so much access to how these early stage companies start up and run and and the way that you can kind of help them to navigate through those stages and make connections. And it was something I always really admired. And then we decided to come together to launch our, our newest strategy. So um, that's been really great. And then we've got Andres on the team, and Andres comes from an interesting venture and MBA background, and he's actually dual citizen Colombian United States. And so he actually spent a good chunk of the pandemic in Bogota, and, and now he's actually based in Miami. And then we have uh, Colin, who's joining a team who comes from a background of Doing research and and analysis on cannabis companies. So he's got a really interesting background. And then we've got Tyler, who um, is running, helping to run our ETF. And he's based out of New York, comes from like Goldman background, and and has done a series of uh, investment um, processes along the way. So, you know, the whole team is built out, and it's really exciting to see that we're kind of spanning the US. We've got California. Colorado, Florida, New York. And I, I think there's some great tentpoles for, <laughs> for the firm, but um, it's been really great to grow it and to watch how everyone comes to the table with the same level of enthusiasm and passion for the industry, but also the same dedication to really delivering on our fiduciary responsibility of driving returns for our investors. And so um, Poseidon, our thing has always been to be value-add investors. We don't just... Typically, we don't just write checks, although sometimes you just have to uh, know where your attention is best received. Sometimes when you do invest into a company, they're not as interested in having an active investor at the table. If they're running their business as well, we tend to just say you're good to go. But a lot of times we are actively involved. And it's something we set as an expectation at the outset of the investment for our founders is that we're here, we're partners. Um, You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we had an all hands meeting for the entire portfolio and brought on insurance people, lawyers, accountants, just everything. So everybody had resources at hand for what appeared to be a black swan event, as Sequoia Capital called it. Um, You know, we may we've been talking about maybe doing something again if if this um, unfortunate situation with the Ukraine escalates I don't know how much more can ask. I mean, there's only a couple right. of things and I don't even want to bring it up of what, where this could go, but it's not good. Um, and we know that the inflationary impact of this and the supply chain issues are going to only be further exacerbated. But anyway, all of this goes by way of saying Poseidon is very actively involved. Um, you know, we get out there a lot, um, but the way that we think about it is the portfolio companies are the things that make our firm a success. So if they perform well, then we perform well. And um. You know, we're just here for them.
1: I want to say... I had a quick question. So you mentioned the accelerator program as well as being a value-added investor. Is that kind of what led you guys to start the mastermind program?
0: Mm. The mastermind program is a work in process. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's kind of a re inventing of the concept around accelerator programs. And the idea of it is to be kind of more nimble and to formalize a process of mentorship and network support.
1: Is it targeted at just your portfolio companies or you guys opening it up to all kind of cannabis founders that meet specific criteria?
0: Yeah. So I think we are going to be opening it up and that's something we're endeavoring into in, in 2022. Um, you know, we still are, um, you know, we've got our actively managed funds, but um, I think that we will be looking to open that up because we do think there's an opportunity to work with some companies. Like, for example, I think that the this program could be helpful to those who are not necessarily in need of doing a full venture round of financing, but they want to be able to kind of quickly get their businesses ramping and then maybe they can bootstrap them and do um, more um you know, finite rounds of financing where they take some money, maybe it's in debt or maybe it's in equity with a way that they can dividend it out. But, you know, not everybody is a a perfect target for a venture style of investment, but I do believe that there are small businesses that, that want to get started up in this industry that can benefit from that program. So does that make sense? That does
2: hundred percent, especially with the experience your team brings to the table, because as we've seen cannabis is so hard in, in every other area. And having a, a valued partner like yourself kind of avoid those landmines could probably save companies not only substantial capital, but also time and likely success or death given the variable. So I want to stay with the value add. Is there a certain strategy aspect? Is it more operational guidance? You know, what what role does your team play in expanding on that? Are there kind of nuances that you can share that you've learned from one company that you can kind of bring to the other, or are they kind of separate entities that you don't really want to mix and match the information.
0: So yeah, there's there are many areas where we try to be value-add. So I'll just start and run down. So we do try to be value-add in terms of we do a lot of, we spend a lot of time vetting and evaluating service providers. So maybe we can make great introductions for legal, for insurance, for outsource accounting support fpa support so those are certain things that i mean if you can save time as a founder and get good referrals for good service providers you're already starting with a leg up um the other thing is that our team will also kind of vet and stress test financial models as we're investing and so we become an ongoing sounding board on that and so and like andreas on our team is really good at helping to model different things including if a company is evaluating M&A or anything around that, he will be very helpful in terms of modeling the outcomes of those different transactions or opportunities. And so um, he's done that countless times and it's been very great value add. Um, the other thing we I would say is that we really try to help set up these companies with good corporate governance. Uh, not just in cannabis, but more broadly speaking, I think there's been a real absence of strong corporate governance. You can see how it's played out, for example, with Theranos or uh, WeWork, um, some of those really big companies that, I mean, when you saw the board of directors at Theranos, I mean, it was basically like write a check, but did any of those people actually really know what they were doing from like, Okay, it's time to get the firm audited. Where are those audited financials? What's Let's establish a budget. What are we doing in terms of the diligence process with fundraising? Like, those are all things that are really important. Same thing with, I don't even understand what was going on with WeWork. The fact that the IP was not even held correctly by the company and they were IP on. I mean, there's just like a myriad of things that have happened when people are moving fast. look, I, I love Silicon Valley. I think the innovation that comes out of there is, is critical and it's how we stay as a, an economy that actually grows and flourishes rather than becomes stagnant and shrinks. Uh, But there are things, this notion of move fast and break things, I do think creates a little bit of a challenge. And I think we have to be a little, and, and in cannabis, we, I've said this before, we don't have that luxury. Like we can't move, fast and break things. You can look at how um, illicit operators move fast and break things and it can break things for the industry. For example, like the vape hysteria thing of 2019, that was just people really trying to move quickly, selling a lot of vape products, not getting them appropriately lab lab tested, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So we try to provide support on like Good board composition. We try to lend insight in terms of um, diversity in teams and inclusion in teams, especially in upper level management and recruiting. Um, and then we also, as a firm, do. There's a VC who I have a lot of respect for. His name is Vinod Khosla, and he always said his number one job as an investor is to be also be recruiting talent for his companies. And so we always spend time trying to make introductions and connections, even if it is just as an advisor, if it is. And so some and even some of our, our investors have actually gone to work with some of our portfolio companies because they had expertise they could translate from their existing experiences into these portfolio companies. So those are some of the ways that we try to add value.
2: What area of the industry do you think is currently overlooked by a majority of the space?
0: overlooked. I think the tech aspect of the industry doesn't get enough attention. Um, I think what I see is there's a lot of piling in on technology where I think there are some founders that are really good at raising money and that's necessary for success because, you know, the main way you fail is if you run out of money. But I do think, again that there should be prudence around how, when, and what structure you raise money and the true use of proceeds for that. Um, But I do think that a lot of folks don't truly understand just how much value is contained within these tech companies that are serving the industry. Because every operating company, meaning plant touching operator, it's like you have to stand up a whole new business in every state you go into, right? But the technology platforms can much more quickly scale across these markets. And they're the ones who are sitting at that 30,000 foot view of what this industry looks like. We've invested in headset data. We love the data. We use it all the time. And that is like, how, how could you have a better ringside seat to what is happening in this industry and the trends that we're seeing in different product categories, consumers, states, market by market, all of these things. But I just think that they're, it's just been a bit of a lag for people to realize that this technology is really, it holds a lot of value. And, you know, I'll just give a couple of examples of analogs because some people are like, Oh, why can't you just use Salesforce? Or why can't you just use square? And we all know that there are the regulatory limitations around that, but there's also optimization limitations around that. So if you tried to use that, your business is not going to be as efficient as it is with a tailor-made um, cannabis platform. And you can see like MindBody is a good example of a platform that was built for the wellness sector that was absolutely exploding. And this very similar to cannabis. So MindBody is a platform. It's like a point of sale platform, a booking platform for spas, for yoga facilities. And MindBody was launched right when the yoga business was exploding when people were starting to realize they needed to get into these alternative wellness solutions like acupuncture and massage. And so, mind, body, intelligently, what the cannabis guys have done and gals have done is like, oh my God, this is a rapidly growing underserved sector. And so, if we can create a platform that's meant for this and then capture the growth of that sector alongside of it then you're going to have tremendous growth. And so some of our technology companies are growing at over 100% year over year. And so it's very interesting.
1: One technology company I think is interesting is Pax, right? And so I have a couple of questions associated with Pax. So my first question is, did you guys invest in Pax prior to them launching the actual vape pen? Because originally they were just like herbal vaporizer hardware, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so just getting before that... And then they've also been interesting as like a technology platform because they recently... Became a pseudo plant touching business with their now like branded through a dosit right? Or uh, I can't remember exactly who they partnered with, but they, is it dosit right? That they're actually launching their own uh, oil pen now as well.
0: They're doing, I can't remember what the relationship with dosis is, but they are doing, well, I mean, packs. Right, I like to joke that they named it after us, but that's a whole other. <laughs> it's it's good. I, mean, I like it's, the it's name. Good name. It's branding. really good yeah. branding. <laughs> I did actually. That is how I got my first uh, Pax uh, herbal uh, product. As I was like, uh, "You do realize what my last name is? I deserve the product." Or uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, We're cease and yeah. I was like I'm coming for you. Uh, no, we invested in Pax at a really interesting time. They had gone through. A bit for a long time, they did not associate themselves at all, period, full stop, with the cannabis industry. Yes, they really, really carried the party line of like, we are herbal and dried tobacco <laughs> inhaler or, you know, breath, whatever product, um, yeah. vaporization product. Um, but I always admired their branding. I always admire, I mean, it showed up everywhere. I remember I was at a comedy festival in Austin and there was a big PAX display. So, and I'm like, Yeah, we're at a comedy fest and you're talking about herbal inhalation. Okay, Um, but, you know, they've always had a really good looking technology, really effective technology. I actually still think my Pax 2 is one of my favorite ways to consume flour because you can actually taste the profile of it. You should
1: try the Pax 3.
0: I have it. I like my packs too, cause it's a prettier color. I, it, okay, It's a whole thing. Um, but the, uh, what was I going to say? But so we invested right when they were launching the era and at that time.
2: Why'd you, you invest know, at that time? Like what, was there something that you felt in that conversation? Did you feel like they had a USP? Like what was it about it?
0: Uh, you know, the vapor category was growing rapidly. Uh, the pod aspect of it I thought was very interesting. And I liked the that they were kind of doing the razor razor blade model, which is that they were going to be able to work with partners. So they weren't going to take on the capital intensive aspect of cultivating, processing, and infusing the pods themselves. They were going to work with some of these well-known brands like Jetty Extracts in order to do it. Um, and the razor razor blade model is great because it's, it's a light touch, but then you have a pretty strong impact and a great um, brand experience. The uh, You know, and I thought the technology was really strong. I also really liked the CFO Um, in the cannabis industry. And I think in all industries, you really try to make sure there's a financial controls group at the table that are going to help to shepherd this. They had also gone through some supply chain issues early on in in the company, and they had righted some of those challenges. So we're pretty excited about it. Um, You know, an interesting aspect to it was that at that time, Jewel was a part of PAX I think a lot of. I was, was
1: going to ask that because it's yeah. the technology is identical. You know, I mean, I'm like, there has to be some sort of IP overlay between the two of them.
0: And there is, and um, that has been an interesting experience to have been invested in that as well, because they spun Juul out. Um, but a lot of people, because Juul became so huge so quickly, because of the fact that it's the total addressable market is the entire United States and. Yeah. And also, it's nicotine, so it's addictive. So it's a very different um, situation. But um, you know, they obviously had some missteps. But but Jewel was born out of Pax, and so that's that's something I think not everybody quite realizes. You guys seem like you're. I seven. thought
1: it was the other way around. I thought Pax that's was right. born from Jewel's. That's that's good wow,
0: no. learning right there.
1: So appreciate. there
0: you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it was a number of things at that moment of why we wanted to invest into the company. And then we ended up following on in I think two more rounds after that. Two more rounds after that. Um, I think PAX faced some challenges just like everybody did after the vape hysteria. Um, but I do think it made them really examine how they did want to participate in the ecosystem. And that's where the live rosin uh, products have come from. So they're going to be getting more vertical in terms of how they're doing their own brands, but they'll continue to have partners. Um, so I'm pretty excited about the new direction of the company. I'm glad they're more explicitly leaning in as a full-blown cannabis company. And I think that... I, I, lo- I don't know if you've tried the new era, but I love it. And I think the new Live Rosin product is really good too. Um, it's all very smooth And um, the profiles are great, and I think It's, to me, it's really interesting because I look at the categories through my headset data that are growing and I'm very interested in Gen Z and Gen Z is very there's a lot of affinity for vape products and also for um, the ones with the pod systems so that you can have different, so you have the hardware and then you have the different pods you can plug in depending on your different need states or what your interests are at that time and so I'm very interested in Gen Z as a market, uh, as this market. Segment and so yeah, I think it's really cool what they're doing. I'm excited about it.
1: I think it's good too for the industry from like uh, just a stigma perspective because they were like kind of like hands away. We're not going to touch it. Now that they're actually like willing to take a uh, a foot, take a step, and put a foot into the actual industry, I think it kind of speaks volumes to where the industry is going and where it's been. You know what
2: I mean?
0: Yeah, I, it's it's interesting too, and I can't say specifically because obviously it's like sensitive information to yeah, of companies. Course. But there are massive financial institutions in that company.
2: Awesome. That's yeah. good for the industry. It and really it, is. It makes sense too, like why they're taking the steps into the space a little more, right? They're getting some data sets from what is selling and they're like, wow, if we can kind of expand our offerings in different areas, we're diversifying our our interest in the space, but we're also utilizing, you know, sales from our partners to understand maybe market trends and then leaning in those directions so that maybe we're not kind of, Capturing other market share off our partners, but we're kind of splitting that difference and maybe capturing new market share. And Gen Z is very interesting also, especially as they kind of come up through the ranks and they're consuming more of that with booze. I think there's a lot of categories that we can kind of talk about in a little bit that might lean more heavily towards them. So I want to stay and I want to talk more about challenges right now. What do you think is a common challenge that's over overlooked by majority of the space?
0: Recruiting talent is a definite challenge and it's been made harder by this whole great resignation thing and the fact that the workforce has been disrupted. So there's there's a lot of pain points around that. But even just yesterday, I was I was in Park City and I was getting a ride from an Uber and the fellow had owned a chain of um Suit stores along it's a third generation chain of suit stores in the area, and he was saying his son just took it over from him and now he's in retirement driving Uber for fun uh, nicest guy, but he was saying like even them they're having trouble sourcing people to work in the in the stores. It's just a tough time to hire and attract talent and um, you know, some of the companies I work with are now these big billion dollar companies in cannabis, and they're having a hard time recruiting talent into the C-suite because um, they are really trying to make efforts to attract people from consumer products companies or other companies or wine and spirits companies. And, um, and it's just very competitive and, and, you know, the cannabis stocks have been down and they've been down for a while. And when one of your biggest recruiting potentials and and this is this is where psychology comes into play on all of this is if I were getting recruited into one of these companies and my strike price of my of my um, incentives and my compensation package at the stock at this price were at this price, I would be like, this is a steal a steal. Like you don't want to be getting the stock at $20 when you could have gotten it at four. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where, but, but this is the psychology of buy high sell low because people panic and they can't see what, you know, what's happening next. Um, but anyone who's a conviction person, it would be really great to be hired into one of these companies and be able to get your stock packages at these levels. It's really, um, you could realize enormous potential upside on that, but.
2: Yeah, and as um, we've seen, maybe even pretty quickly, right? We've seen the market yeah. move pretty fast. I mean, unfortunately, in both directions. But yeah. you're right; it is an enticing sum. So I'm I'm wondering why do you think the outside industry C-suite is hesitant to kind of dive into the space? Is it the regulations? Is it the unknown aspect? Is it the federal legalization? What What areas do you think is the biggest deterrent for them?
0: Um. Yes,
2: <laughs> I think <laughs> That's <a good> answer. <laughs> perfect. That's all of the things that you
0: just said. Um, it's the unknown aspect of it. You know, when you recruit from corporations, you have to find someone who's kind of like the entrepreneur in a corporation to come over to these companies. Because even if you look at the biggest ones in the industry, they're still startups. They're just startups doing over uh, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, hundreds of millions of dollars, of even a year. And so, but they're startups. I mean, they really are. I mean, that's they are so young in the in the arc of businesses. And so... You know, you do have to find the more entrepreneurial people from corporations. Otherwise, a a truly corporate person is going to struggle in this industry because the infrastructure is not there. And um, which I actually think is great because it's like if you can find somebody who's helped to shape these businesses and is ready to dive in and do it again, that's the kind of person you want. You don't want somebody that's going to look to their left and look to their right and be like, well, where are the 400 people who are going to do my job for me, you know, and make me look smart. Like you want these people to be people who are rolling up their sleeves and diving in. So I think that's, that's one of the tough things is just getting the right profile of, of a human being. And then I do think that it's incredibly intimidating and let's face it. It's, it's been, we went through a 25 month bear cycle on the stock market, and then we had a brief, a very brief run up of a bull cycle, and then we've been right back in this bear cycle since the end of last February. And um, it's tough. It's tough to. It's tough to tell somebody that emerging market cycles like this are condensed and they're tight and they're difficult and are exacerbated by the political theatrics that we're watching, especially by the Democrats. But it's and. Gosh, it's so tough, but it's like, so it's tough to debunk the fears that these folks might have. So you just have to be high conviction on the fundamentals of the business.
2: What is one idea, fact, or statistic that most individuals who work in the cannabis industry wouldn't know?
0: That they wouldn't know? I think one of the statistics that people wouldn't realize is how that there's like really one to two to three actual insurance underwriters that'll touch the industry. And. Yeah, the yeah and I, I think one of the biggest issues that was going to be one of the and i think what people don't realize is how that affects the cost of doing business is when you can't have ordinary business services like a or normal insurance i mean we talk about banking all the time but the insurance piece is is one of the un, unfortunate side effects so i would say that and that like our insurance premiums are i mean what we pay for insurance has got to be at least like 300 X what other people pay in other businesses, in many instances, more,
2: yeah, that one that one hits a, a sore spot for us uh, pretty, pretty recently. <laughs> yeah. all right. let's let's do a quick rapid fire. One guest from your high-rise podcast that wowed you.
0: Andrea Cabral from Ascend. I mean, obviously, I'm in I'm on the board of Ascend, but Andrea Cabral was the sheriff in in the Boston area. Um, and she came, I mean, to see a law enforcement person come over. To the industry, I feel like I, I can never hear her story enough. It's totally inspiring, and she really really stepped up and and made a difference in the community and and she also has illuminated um a lot of things around um, micro lending and ways we could think about providing more support to equity applicants other than just handing out licenses or <laughs> or talking about handing out licenses and up the process, which is really what happens at each state level. But um, yeah, she's somebody who really has always wowed me.
2: Favorite under the radar cannabis company or brand that you think will explode over the next two years?
0: Well, so I pulled disclosure, I'm an investor, but I think this company called Wonder, the way they do their beverages, is my it's my favorite beverage I actually not only am I an investor, I'm also a client. No, but I, you know, I keep <laughs> I keep them in the in the cupboard, I I keep them in the fridge. I think the way they've approached their taste profile and everything, I think it's it's about to have a moment. They're seeing great growth in California where they are. So
2: would you trade no cannabis consumption for 10 years for the Buffalo Bills to play in the Super Bowl? <laughs>
0: Sorry, Bills. <laughs> I got to keep my endocannabinoid system cruising along here. I feel it. I
2: feel
0: it. What's another 10 years?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know? Your state that you have your eye on? Alabama. Ooh, that is an interesting answer. I like it. Why?
0: Uh, Alabama has a deep culture of uh, agriculture, a deep history of agriculture and I think there are some amazing uh enthusiasts who are multi-generational humans who are there and I think um they're thinking about it in an interesting way so and I like I like the idea of doing something in Jeff Session's backyard.
2: Big <laughs> bad <laughs> Jeff yeah I was not anticipating Alabama were you Kellen? No not at all I thought she was gonna say New York. I thought she was gonna say Florida. Ooh all right that's where I thought you were gonna say.
0: Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I mean, New York, I cannot wait for, but I just thought I'd bring in a different one.
2: Yeah, did. no, no, for sure. I mean, New York, we can have another conversation about that. But yeah, it's been a it's it's been, very it's, sensitive topic. For it's, been <laughs> it's been disappointing. It's been disappointing. It's been disappointing. And I think we can all agree that.
0: Not well, as disappointing as New Jersey so far.
2: Good point. I assume they would be kind of hand in hand disappointing if we're going to be honest. I've been on the record for a bunch of times saying that I think the two of them will, will come online closer together. and as we get into it, I'm getting close. it's been so long that I just feel bad taking shots at you now. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so let's talk about East Coast. What can East Coast operators learn from California?
0: Uh, that competition will come more quickly and more fiercely than you can ever imagine. And it will come from every angle. But um, so I would say you got to level up your, your game in terms of your retail experience, your quality of product your offering of product and your quality of branding that's
2: That's well said. said thanks based on your experience with operators in the space what is one concept or idea you think a majority of the individuals who operate in cannabis are not thinking about that should be thinking about
0: cannabis is a commodity just like coffee beans are a commodity but we all pay a lot of money for coffee don't we and I think that that's the thing that we are and in the same way as like a grape is a commodity but uh wine is a very special and unique product so I think the faster people can figure out how to build legitimate okay so every I, this is a, this is a personal gripe I have I have a background in consulting on on brand building and so when I hear people just say the following it's all about brands I cringe because mm-hmm. Building brands is harder and more expensive than anyone really realizes. And that's why there are big conglomerate consumer products companies, because they have the time and the and the resources to build brands or to buy them. And you saw this massive consolidation in beer, you've seen it in wine and spirits, you've seen it in even cereal, for God's sakes. So um, this is not something to ignore, but you ha- but I think every company is going to have to level up a more sophisticated and um, segmented brand strategy and then really stand behind the quality and what those brands represent. So if it's a it's supposed to be more of an affordable and accessible product, then get really clear on that. If it's supposed to be a more premium and unique product, then get behind that. If it's targeting a certain gender, get behind that. So um, I think that everyone's going to have to level it up because um, you know California absolutely inverted this year on the very fact that Cannabis is a commodity and without um, better brand and retail strategies around it. I mean, California, to be fair, though, we have less than a thousand legal retail locations in a state that is the fifth largest economy of the world. So... That is a joke and that's a regulatory challenge. Um, so, the things that happen in California, you can't blame. I, I can't blame on the operators. All I can blame it on is the fact that we have a very um, complex and sophisticated uh, illicit market that's very competitive and not enough re- uh, ways to get the product to the consumer. But all that being said, cannabis is a commodity, whether we like it or not. And the way that you get around commoditization is to create unique experiences and brands.
2: What's your feeling on the cannabis consumption lounges?
0: From an investment standpoint, or from a, a person Either. who would attend? <laughs> um, from an investment standpoint, if it's, an, if it's a part of existing infrastructure and you're kind of funneling it as a additional sales channel and an additional way to... It's almost like marketing that generates revenue, then I'm very for it. As an investor, when I see an individual... Uh, Consumption lounge. I get nervous because it feels to me like hospitality or restaurants, which have an yeah. enormous oh, rate of yeah. failure. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's like a bar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to franchise something like that.
0: Yeah, but if grow it's it, you know, yeah, but I mean, again, getting back to the coffee thing, if you can figure out how Starbucks. to use it, yeah, exactly.
2: Favorite That'd product, favorite product category over the next two to five years.
0: I am into beverage. I'm watching beverage. I'm into it. Um, I think vape. I'm very into vape and I think there's ways we can continue to grow and evolve around vape and technology that can be invented that can, or improved upon. And I think it's, it's, it's a great category. And I, I hated when we threw the baby out with the bathwater on that, um, because of the hysteria around it, which, was misguided and the media blew it out of proportion and it was really too bad. I mean, I even hate it on the e-cigarette side because I know people went back to smoking cigarettes more than ever. And that's a terrible outcome. um, If you just look at the health data. So I'm very pro for vape. And I think you can do a lot getting back to the point about building kind of a moat around pricing and, and avoiding commoditization. I think that that's one way you can do it.
1: Speaking of vape, So Respira, is that how you say that company? Uh, Yes. They're aerosol, right? It's like uh, the same technology that you would use for an inhaler, right? Mm -hmm. I understand that right now they're targeting it as a medicine, which they should, but is that something that's ever going to be released as like a commercially viable way for a consumer to inhale cannabinoids? Uh, I mean, you wouldn't even have to worry about any of these negative side effects and like it's going to take a special machine to make the 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 aerosoled version of it so like there's going to be like at least kind of like a paywall there from bad actors right
0: yeah so it's funny you say that because when i was giving that answer respira was in my mind 100% i'm very excited oh, yeah. about that company <laughs> i'm very excited about that company so for those for those at home who do not know um respira has a technology platform where it's a really a no heat uh, product and Yes, there are multiple ways that this technology can be applied from everything from vitamin um, intake to certain medications um, and of course, cannabinoids. And so um, it's a very cool platform and you're absolutely right. It's not just the device, but it's also the technology that goes into the form factor that would go into like, for example, if it was like, just for easy analog, if it was like a Paxera type device, you'd have a, a device with a pod system and the what's in the pod. So there's technology in the pod, there's technology in the formulation for the pod, and there's technology in the product, the actual hardware. So it's all really interesting. And I think, um, you know, as somebody who does like consuming by vape, but would prefer it to be even healthier, then I think that that's a really great thing. And, you know, I am a vegan, so I get B12 shots. But from what I understand, an absorption through a device like that, of B B12 could be you know, but more by, cause you, a lot of people can't absorb, this is a total tangent, but you can't absorb oh, okay. B12 by like vitamin form, um, by like sublinguals or even capsules, but, um, through obviously injections you can, but maybe they're thinking through inhalation, things like that would be more available. And I hate needles. So if, you know, I could have it available through that, it would be a real game changer. Um, so I'm really excited about Respira. Great team. Um the CEO the founder is a really inspiring um, C, he's just an inspiring innovator and love working with him and then the COO actually came from Altria's smokeless tobacco division from for like 20 years and so He's a really incredible human. I've known him for years. And um, actually, he was part of our diligence process to invest into that company. And, and it's so great to see them working together as a pair. So That is cool. Great team. Yeah. Sounds like they have Thanks for nice,
2: bringing that up. They have a nice IP stack also, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I like their technology. And I've always like, you know what I
1: mean? I heard about that maybe at a conference like three or four years ago, they were talking about it. It's pharmaceutical. Uh, Monica... Valen, uh, you know, I always mess up her last name, but she was talking about it. And I was like, that is definitely the future for sure. So.
0: Yeah. It's, they've been in stealth mode for a little bit, you know, while they continue Which to is run. smart, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But I, I love that one. I'm really excited about it. Can't wait for that to be in the market. So
2: since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception
0: um, that the people who work at cannabis companies are quote unquote stoners. Um, And so first of all, I'll start by saying I, I love stoners. And I think that the word in a pejorative sense is misused terribly. And I think all of us should honor and respect the people who built this long before we felt safe enough to get involved. And so I have a lot of respect for the people who came before me. Um, And I think that The people I know in the cannabis industry are some of the most dedicated, highest achievers. And like, seriously, I mean, Rosie Matteo and I are texting from like 5am my time on the Pacific coast till like, God, I feel like almost midnight her time on the East coast. And it's like, who's up and working and working out and doing, I mean, everybody I know is just like push, 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 push. And, you know, I'm based in San Francisco. And if anybody thinks that, uh, there's not a ton of cannabis consumption going on in these technology companies, then they're out of their minds. I mean, one of our shops was right around the corner from Twitter and Uber. And every day at lunchtime and after work, it was just like lines out the door and it was all people who worked in technology. So, I think that's one of the big misconceptions. And I think, yes, in our industry, people consume cannabis, but I think that we all have to shift the way we think about what that means.
2: That's really well said. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be?
0: it's going to be harder for longer than you could ever imagine. And you just have to really stay focused in order to get through it because, and you, you kind of have to love what you're doing in order to get through it or else you're not going to make it. I know there's been a quite a few fund managers who have come in and out of the industry. And if you're in something that's early and emerging for a quick turn, you're not going to enjoy it and you're not going to last. So you've got to, You've got to gird your loins and, and just be able to hang in there.
2: Prediction time. Emily, it's 2027. What outside industry Titan is the power player in the cannabis space?
0: This is a good question. And I should have thought about this in advance. Um, I think it will be outside can okay. Can we could I give two answers? Yeah. Okay. I just want to give context. I do view the cannabis industry as it's going to bifurcate, where part of it is going to go very pharma. And I think yes. that I'm, I'm thinking 2027, 20, is that far enough out? But I would say, let's go ahead and say it's Pfizer because of some of the research we're seeing on oh, yeah. the positive yeah. benefits of cannabis with COVID. So I say on the pharma side- I'm- And their acquisition,
2: right? Yeah. And all their patents, which I don't know why people don't see. There are thousands of them that they own.
0: So I'm going to say Pfizer on the pharma side. And then outside player, I'm going to say Diageo. Because oh, wow. I think that Beverage and I think with Gen Z, they're going to have to pay a lot more attention to Gen 2. And I know they already are. We already know this. But I'm going to say they're going to get involved in a, in a big, big way. And they're based out here in California. So they're watching it.
2: Definitely. Kellen. Amazon that
1: take yours. I just think that by 2027, I think that it's just a no brainer. I mean, they're already heavily involved with the industry from shipping packaging and equipment and everything else. I mean, I, when I was an operator, like we would have an Amazon order every single day, show up at our door. Right. It's just cheaper to buy things there. And I think that like, so they're already technically involved as like a supporting player in the industry from like logistics. Right. And I think that it's just going to be so easy for them to to just turn this. It's just a a switch, right, where they can now put cannabis in a box and ship it instead. Right now, they can't put cannabis in a box and ship it knowingly, at least. Right. So that's my guess. I think that they'll by 2027 be shipping weed across at least in, in states for sure, personally.
2: Brian? See, those are good. This is going to kind of put me in like a little bit. <laughs> I like little, little, little. that, that a Amazon is, a, is, is obviously a good one, especially with their announcements. And they've been pretty vocal about their backing of cannabis. I guess for me, I'll have to take Altria, right? And I'm trying to take like a similar route where we're close enough to the space where you can kind of see them moving in, obviously with their technology and their relationship with tobacco. And maybe if they make some more moves into the pharmaceutical space, they can kind of blend the two different spaces we talked about. And they could be a big player given their infrastructure in the space.
1: Pouring a bunch of money into their aerosol vape development in Israel. So
2: something to watch for
1: sure. For sure, for sure.
2: So Emily, for for those who are interested in getting in touch or wanting to learn more, where can they reach you?
0: Uh, Poseidon.partners is our website. So you can send in inquiries through that. And then uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Poseidon Invest.
2: Wait. I'll link them all up in the show notes. And also on Twitter spaces too.
0: Yeah, Twitter spaces. Morgan and Tyler are doing the closing bell with Poseidon, CCWP, uh, twice a week. So tune in. It's obviously at one o'clock Pacific, four o'clock Eastern. And um, yeah, you can follow me on the high rise with Sy Scott. That's always a fun thing. And I'm impacts one at Twitter. I'm pretty active on there.
2: So. Awesome. Yeah, we'll link them all up in the show notes. Thanks so much for your time.
3: Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who abused cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said,